When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday, September 22, 1980. 18-year-old Jeffrey Sauber and his buddy Doug Beckner headed out to have some fun on his last night home. Sauber was recently returned from Marine Corps basic training, and in the morning, he'd be heading to his next stop in California. The Stark County friends jumped into Doug's truck, picked up some booze, and soon found themselves at the Summit Drive-In, a popular outdoor theater in the Akron suburb of Coventry Township. The marquee announced the movies, The Exterminator and Born to Kill. Jeff and Doug were sitting on the hood of the truck that warm fall night when a man in a hat and an unseasonably long black coat walked past them. They didn't know him, but words were exchanged. Jeff hopped off the hood and pursued the stranger. Moments later, Jeff stumbled back to the truck, then fell to the ground. Doug, I've been stabbed, he said. Doug looked at his friend, lying prone on the gritty gravel of the drive-in lot, and didn't immediately respond. He thought Jeff was playing a joke. Then he saw the blood. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and BeaconJournal.com, this is Unresolved, a look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Paula Schleiss, co-host of Ohio Mysteries, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as stories in print and online, our Akron Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith and my Ohio Mysteries co-host Steve Yoder. Now, Unresolved Episode 8, Jeffrey Sauber. The Summit, at the corner of Manchester and Robinson Roads, just south of Akron, was a popular drive-in theater in an era when outdoor theaters thrived. It opened in 1956. Depending on the movie being shown, it could be a family-friendly attraction, cars packed with children. They would occupy themselves on the playground in front of the huge screen, then retreat to their vehicles when the film started. Other nights, the venue served as a giant teen hangout, where very few paid attention to the big screen. Couples would make out in their back seats. Classmates would stroll between cars to catch up with each other. Young men and women would linger at the concession stand to see or be seen. 
Most local drive-ins in the Akron area would be gone by the mid-1980s. The summit would close in 1987. But in 1980, it was still relevant. You mentioned you went to the summit drive-in, right? Yeah, when I was a teenager, uh, I went there on dates and things of that nature. Yeah, there was always a good turnout. That's Major Steve Cottle with the Summit County Sheriff's Office. He headed the Detective Bureau for six years. The summit did not have a reputation as being a source of trouble for local law enforcement. Whether it was a family night or a teen social center, most customers were well-behaved. I don't believe it was any, uh, you know, standout. You know, occasionally things would happen, but nothing, nothing like this. Nothing like this referred to that Monday night back in 1980. Jeff Sauber's family lived about a half hour's drive from the theater on Hahn Avenue in Lawrence Township, near Canal Fulton. His father, Fred, died five years earlier from cancer. Until Jeff left for the service, he lived on Hahn with his widowed mother, Patricia, and his 15-year-old brother, Michael. In the years after their father died, the brothers had grown very close. Jeff's friend, Doug Beckner, was also from the same neighborhood. The young men had been friends since the sixth grade and graduated from Northwest High School together that June. They had a typical teen existence. Michael Sauber would say of his brother later, he liked cars and girls and music. Jeff had another interest as well, the military. He went straight from high school into the Marines. He planned to make a career of it. When he turned 18 that August the 1st, he was already in boot camp at Paris Island in South Carolina. After basic training, he returned home for a brief break before his next stop in Monterey, California, where he intended to study counterintelligence. He had a plane ticket for Tuesday, September the 23rd. The night before was his last night at home. Major Cottle shared what Doug Beckner told deputies about that night. So he said that... uh him and his buddy uh, intended on going to the movie. They drove around, bought their alcohol, drove around, drank a little bit, went to the movie, um, and they were sitting on their car, and Jeff's brother was in a different vehicle parked like beside him. So they were all sitting on their hoods, talking to each other, watching the movie, drinking uh, their beer and their wine. And then uh, just, you know, being, being kids. There were two movies showing. The Exterminator, a film about a white Vietnam veteran taking out a gang for causing a paralyzing injury to his black friend and fellow soldier. When that movie ended, Michael Sauber and his friend left. Jeff and Doug stayed to watch the second flick called Born to Kill. At some point, a guy walks by, a black guy walks by in a long, like, black trench coat style. 
and it kind of stuck out that that's kind of weird because it's it's, hot, it's September, it's still pretty warm out. And of course, the movie they're watching, they see this guy and they're throwing around the N-word. The guy says something as he walks by, which prompts Jeff to take offense to whatever this guy said. Beckner did not hear what was said. So Jeff Sauber basically follows him towards the concession stand, almost like confrontationally, like, you know, what do you say to me or what's going on? And pretty much, no more than he got whatever words out of his mouth, uh, he was stabbed and he came back to the car, said I was stabbed and just fell over and was bleeding. And initially, Beckner didn't even think he was hurt. He thought he was just playing around. And then after some time went by and he didn't get up off the ground, he's like, uh-oh, I better check him out. Lifted his shirt, saw blood, and called for a squad. Jeff had been stabbed once in the abdomen. He had not cried out. There was no visible struggle. The assailant apparently concealed the knife under his long coat, calmly walked to his own car, and drove away from the theater. The drive-in wasn't crowded that night. Those who were near to the incident didn't even realize what had happened at first. Not until the ambulance and police started arriving. The Coventry Township Rescue Squad was on the scene in a matter of minutes. They took Jeff to Akron General Medical Center. He had been stabbed about 9.30 p.m. He died less than two hours later at 11.10. Doug Beckner told investigators he didn't know the assailant and was positive that Jeff didn't know him either. Investigators started interviewing the people who were in the vicinity of the stabbing, and they did recall seeing the two men interact, though detectives had to use some unorthodox methods of getting at the details. There was a whole list of witnesses, uh, tons of witnesses. Essentially, all these witnesses um, were hypnotized to try to get anything that they were suppressing in their memory. Beckner was hypnotized twice as well. Most of those interviewed described Sauber's assailant as black, early 20s, 6 feet, 160 pounds with long sideburns, a mustache, and a goatee. He was also wearing a black hat. Some said they heard the man say, I am the exterminator. He drove a compact car, which was parked a few rows in front of Doug Beckner's truck. Some reported it as a silver or gray Plymouth Valiant. Others indicated an old blue Ford Falcon, possibly in 1962. The Summit County Sheriff's Department put together a composite sketch of the suspect, again by putting witnesses under hypnosis. But not everyone was in agreement. A woman who thought she saw the altercation said the black man was with a white man and that it was the white man who pulled the knife. She gave the artist a different description, resulting in a very different sketch. Jeff's family and friends put up a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. They upped the ante to $10,000 the next year. Detective Jason Klein, 
who has been with the Sheriff's Department for more than 30 years and reviewed Sauber's case more than a decade ago, said the one thing that isn't in dispute is the general motive. Confident that the altercation was over race. It took seven years for investigators to have their first real suspect. It came in as a cold call to the sheriff's office, Major Cottle said. Somebody came forward and uh, said, hey, I was there. I know the guy that did it. I'm trying to get this off my conscience. Here's what happened. His story carried some weight for one major reason, a motive that has never been revealed by the Summit County Sheriff's Office before. News reports in 1980 only ever said that unknown words were exchanged between Sauber and his assailant. They never mentioned Jeff began the exchange by using the N-word. Only Doug Beckner and the detectives knew that and detectives concealed it as a way of verifying future tips or a possible confession. The witness who called the sheriff's office in 1987 included that detail in his story of what happened that night. Then, in 1993, another witness came forward. And obviously I can't give you the name and stuff like that because, uh, you know, we're not to a point where anything could even be charged. But essentially, this guy calls in and says, hey, I know where this guy is. I know where the knife is. You know, it, it started by the concession stand. Deputies collected some knives from the suspect, but there was no evidence they were used at the crime. Cottle won't say if detectives ever interviewed the man who was identified by those callers. He said the most he can reveal is that he's from Barberton, a city less than a mile from where the theater was. As the criminal case languished, a civil case was pursued. Patricia Sauber sued Summit Drive-In Theater for $1.6 million. Her argument was that the movies being shown when her son was killed were of such a violent nature to be responsible for causing a dangerous reaction. Three years later, the suit was dismissed. The judge said it wasn't even clear what happened that night, so there was no foundation for arguing that the movie was to blame. But a year after that, the Ninth District Court of Appeals reinstated the suit, saying because a witness heard the assailant say that he was the exterminator, Patricia Sauber was entitled to argue her point. If that suit was settled, it was never publicly reported. Two years after Jeff Sauber was murdered, his mother made a big change in her life. 
former part-time hairdresser, she became a reserve officer for the Lawrence Township Police Department. She put in over a thousand hours of unpaid volunteer work, hoping it would land her a full-time police job one day. It did. In March of 1983, Mrs. Sauber, 42 years old and standing just five feet tall, was sworn into the Franklin Township Police Department. She told reporters her becoming a police officer had nothing to do with Jeff's death. I've always wanted to do it, she said. I've always had a desire to get into police work. But keeping busy, that was definitely a byproduct of losing her son. I burn the candle at both ends, she said. It makes it easier to deal with a situation. I think I could have handled it better if Jeff was killed in a car accident. But not knowing who did this or why is a whole different type of thing. The hardest part for me is dealing with it every day. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't relive it, even if it's just a flashback to that night. Attempts by the Beacon Journal and Ohio Mysteries to reach Patricia or Michael Sauber or Doug Beckner were unsuccessful. But old interviews hinted at the turmoil that the loss of Jeff caused in their lives. Patricia said her surviving son, Michael, lived for years feeling guilty, thinking that if he hadn't left the movie that night, maybe he would have been in a position to stop what happened. But she was thankful that he had obeyed her orders to go home after the first film. I'm glad he wasn't there, because he would have gone to Jeff's defense, and I could have lost two sons, she said. She also held on to hope that even as the case grew cold, it would be solved one day. She said, Somewhere down the road, somebody might know him, a girlfriend or someone. The police feel the same way. They think he might do it again or commit some other crime, and it will all come out. He's somewhere. The most recent action on the Sauber case came in 2009. The sheriff's office received a grant to retest evidence from all their unsolved homicides. Detective Klein said he resubmitted all they had in the Sauber case. They came back with no DNA, no human blood, no touch DNA, no DNA standard or DNA strand that could be backtracked. So the evidence was pretty much deemed by BCI to be dead. We also submitted fingernail clippings, fingernail scrapings from the victim. We submitted clothing from the victim. We submitted dirt from the area where he was bleeding. Uh, and we got no DNA other than the standard, which we knew was the victim's. So as of right now, this is a case that we have no physical evidence. Major Cottle said at this point, their best hope is for another witness to come forward, with some kind of evidence that a prosecutor could use. So if somebody heard a podcast, if somebody read an article, and maybe it generated uh, some feelings in them of guilt or remorse, you know, such as a witness that, that never came forward before, that could certainly help. I doubt that the suspect at this point is going to, you know, oh my God, I finally... 
I need to come clean on this, you know. But any any witness that uh, either suppressed it involuntarily or uh, for whatever reason did not speak out before, it, it might you know, get some people talking that way. If you have information that could help this case, please call the Summit County Sheriff's tip line at 330-643-2131. And that's it for this month's edition of Unresolved, a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and the Akron Beacon Journal. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.